Hello, whilst Cowboy Red has not been fried, secure their first three points of the season against Sheffield United. We'll discuss the 2-1 win at the City Ground, look ahead to Man United away, and the impending arrival of World Cup winner Gonzalo Montiel in the company of, first of all, broadcaster and Reds fan Darren Fletcher. Fletch, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Are we going to confirm at this point that I am only a stand-in? I was a late shout. Somebody dropped out from being an important part of the podcast to... Somebody's not coming, can you? I, I, let's let's get it out there nice and early this morning. I was going to say a public shaming inside 40 seconds. I mean, exactly. it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Lewis who was at the game and he couldn't do it. So uh, I turned yeah. to Fletch in my hour of need and he was yeah. there for me to give me abuse. Yeah. I was there. I abused you for a few minutes and then agreed to come on. So that's fine. Exactly. So I got what I deserve. We're very grateful to you for being here. Uh, two other guests on location today. First of all, Michael Temple tempts you well. I'm a late call-up as well, mate. I'll take you on. I think Charlie Slater and Gary Bertels are asked as well. So, me and Fletch can't even get on the subs bench. We're in the bomb squad, mate. Disgraceful, Dan. <laughs> disgraceful. It's disgraceful. I'm, I'm, I feel like we, we drain you on the other pitch. We should be on the other pitch. Start our own podcast. <laughs> Would you get any under-23s? <laughs> and finally is uh, with us is Emily Anderson. Emily, good morning. Congratulations on your engagement, as we said before we started recording. Uh, are Thank you well? You. Yeah, really good, thanks. And by the way, guys, I was first name on the team sheet today. Yeah. So I wasn't a super so, sub. So I'm the Yatesy of the original, team. Original list, I love that. I love that. Yeah, thank you very much. No, I'm really good. I'm actually talking to you from sunny Wales. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, camping with kids and a dog. So imagine how that's going. Yeah, precursor to married life. There we go. <laughs> exactly. It's my first test. <laughs> uh, Temps, you uh, might have to leave us early so because uh, of your tea time. So we'll let you kick us off. What did you make of it overall on Friday? I agree with what's been said already. I don't think I'm going to be surprised too many people by saying we should and could have killed the game first half. I think uh, our pattern was, was there for all to see. We made all of the running and, and several players stood out for me. I thought it was a bit of a, bit of a canter. Um, they had a spell, as every team does, and unfortunately they scored during that and we let them back at it a bit, start the second half. But right result in the end for me. Um, I was particularly impressed with Taiwo. You can see how central a, a player of his type is to this side. And Chris Wood ably came off the bench and made a, a telling contribution. So, yeah, work-ons for sure. Really, really positive um, first half. There was a wobble. That that's always going to happen, but got the right result for me. I think, Fletch, I made two kind of errors of judgment leading into the game. First, I think I underestimated how much Sheffield United would just make it a battle. Because now having seen them now, I don't think they're going to stay up because I don't think they're going to score enough goals. But I don't think they're going to get battered too many times because they'll run themselves into the ground all the time. And secondly, I wonder if every, every fan expected to win and the for maybe it translates to the Forest players that they knew they probably had to win this game with the fixtures around them. And it did make it a little bit nervy in the middle portion of the game. Was that kind of to be expected that Forest weren't going to win at a canter in the end? Uh, I don't think Forest tend to win at a canter because they find it hard to score more than one goal. Yeah. I think that still remains the challenge. You know, they've got to be a team that can play weaker teams than them. And when they are playing well, that has to be leading to more than one goal. I thought when they scored early, it might be the night where they go and get two or three, kill it off early. Everybody can relax and enjoy it. But it doesn't tend to work that way with this team for whatever reason. I don't think it's a lack of desire to do it. It just doesn't seem to work very often. Um, I was 
on the radio on, on, on Friday, saw the game as well. But I just think Sheffield United, if any team in the league will be galvanised by who they are and what they're going through, it's them with their management team. To lose and die, to lose Berger, that will just make them more determined. They're the kind of group that when you put their backs to the walls, they'll come out fighting. That will carry them so far. But I think then the issue comes that is there the quality within the team to turn fight and desire and ambition into wins? And I think the answer is probably no in the circumstances. My worry was, I thought they had 20 minutes in the second half where what they did worked really well and Forrest hit a flat spot. And they're, they're the kind of situations where a game can get away from you. But I was delighted for, for Chris Wood to get the goal. It was a difficult header as well, by the way. That's not a difficult finish. And I totally agree with, with the point that Temps makes. And, and we spoke about this really early on the podcast at the start of last season. And I think it's been a fantastic coaching job on Taiwo Awani because all of a sudden, the subtle bits of Taiwo's game, the little bit of movement at Arsenal, the way he came across Ben White, that's top-class centre-forward play. That's a really bright, intelligent footballer. And there were bits of movement the other night as well where you go, that's a player that, that, that's, that's really in tune with himself on the pitch. And we know all about his physical attributes, size, strength, speed, desire. He's a fantastic finisher. But we're seeing that intelligence as a centre-forward developing all the time. Subtle movements, the ability to get open against Premier League centre-backs. And he just gets better and better. The combination of his willingness to learn and ability, allied with the coaching staff working with him on a daily basis, he's developing into a very, very good Premier League centre-forward. 15 goals has to be the requirement. And if he carries on like this, 20 is not the beyond the realms of possibility. And then at that stage, this is all provided he stays fit, but then at that stage, you have a very good Premier League centre-forward. And, and I think it's congratulations all round that he's developed at this point over this first year in English football. It's been great to see. The strikers were pivotal to the game, Emily, as Fletch rightly says. Uh, that's a nice mug, Fletch. Um, as, <laughs> <laughs> as he rightly says, Taiwo, I mean, he's developed so far from the player we saw in the first home game last season against West yeah. Ham. He's, he's scoring goals. He took that one that was offside really well. And Chris Wood as well. You know, much maligned and including by us in terms of can he start games, but coming off the bench and scoring a header of that quality, it's encouraging. Do you think Forrest still need another striker this summer? I mean, yeah, in, in an ideal world, yes. And, and, you know, we can see from other teams that are struggling to find a striker that can actually score goals. Even even some of the top six teams are, are struggling at the moment. So to see not only Taiwo going on that run of scoring eight in six, Chris Wood coming off the bench and he's had an awful lot of flack and I've always stuck up for him because in those moments when we need him actually he's done the business he scored the equaliser against Man City last season and I have to say when he came off the bench um, against Sheffield United you wouldn't have given him hope but like Fletcher said it wasn't an easy header um, but he, he did the business didn't he and for me with this game I didn't go in complacent I wasn't confident we were going to win the game you've all taken the mick out of me that I have the surprise surprise prediction that I think Sheffield United might sneak out of it. And it's because they are that dogged team that will not give up. And you saw that against us. Had Matt T Turner not made that save in the second half, we'd have seen ourselves 2-1 down. And I couldn't see us turning around that deficit if we'd have gone 2-1 down in that game. Um, and I think this time last year, we'd have probably lost against the equivalent of Sheffield United, whether it would have been a Bournemouth or a Fulham, which we did do last year, didn't we? Um, so for me, I came out of that game thinking that wasn't very pretty. It wasn't a joy to watch. 
but we've got those three points. And I think this time, you, I, I'm comparing it to our first year in the Prem, and I just think we've improved. We've, you know, we've we've done the business. Um, so I'm I'm happy with it. You know, not a pretty game. Sheffield United do not give up easily. Um, so to come away with three points, I'm delighted, and particularly delighted for Chris Wood. Because um, I think for Tyro and for him, it's all about confidence, isn't it? Because they, they, they'll know, Chris Wood particularly will know that he's been getting flack off the fans. And Tyro obviously was out with an injury, but he just seems to be so full of confidence at the moment. And I just hope it continues. Not too much, though, so that some of the big clubs don't stick around him. But yeah, I, I just think, I'm so pleased for him. I really am. Cause he comes across as such a nice guy as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Wood looks, he did look lean and he looked sharper to me, which is mm. good to see. Um, Fletch, Emily makes a good point there about Bournemouth and Fulham at home. There were shades of it last year. Maybe Turner doesn't make that save and he gets a bit ugly if that goes in. Is it a, a sign of Forrest making progress, not so much in terms of quality, but in terms of mentality to get these wins over the line in games they, they probably should win at home? I think it's confidence as well in your ability as a, as a Premier League group. Premier League player on an individual basis, but you can lean on the experience and know that you belong in the division based on the fact you stayed in it last season. It's why I always say that I think you can judge a team as a Premier League team when they've survived the season. You can start to judge players as Premier League players when they've gone through a season and, and get a second one because you can get promoted and not be a Premier League team and not be a Premier League player and, and just fizzle out and get relegated. We've seen it. But I think you're seeing players now that belong in the division they're in. They know how to navigate their way around the division they're in. And I just think that it's a team that's just got better, hasn't it? You know, there was almost like a an epiphany last year that they realised who they were and what they are and how they need to go about it. And let's do what we're good at. And they do what they're good at now. You know, they're, they're relatively solid defensively. They're organised. They've got round pegs in round holes. They know they want to counter-attack, whether they're at home or away. We started to see, I, I, I thought going back to the Arsenal game the week before, it was quite refreshing, certainly the last 15 minutes, that they were, they were starting to get more players forward in attacks. I thought that too often last season we saw them attack with two or three at the most and it makes it hard to score. But now you're starting to see five or six red shirts in the penalty area, sometimes more than that. And I just think this is a, a natural progression of a team that had to find itself, a manager that had to work out, how he was going to go about it. And now you're starting to see the fruits of that labour last year. And, you know, I, I, I just think they're a, they're a good, solid Premier League team now. I, I don't think they're a, they're a relegation worry. I think they're fine. Um, and I just think they'll, they'll have the wherewithal, that moral fibre, that, that little bit of belief and, and confidence to get through situations like you saw on Friday and come out the other side, which is just a sign of progress. Yeah, I do think watching a few other teams... This time last year, we were not at the level of a lot of teams, but now I watch Everton, Wolves, Sheffield United. I haven't seen much of Luton and Burnley yet because they've only played one game, but there's enough teams for me to be comfortable that we're better than. At this stage, it's only two games. It's very early. Almost 500 just one, people. Just one point, Matt. You know, last year, I don't know whether people agree, I thought for Forrest to win, they pretty much needed the 11 to be at a level. Mm. And I think they're at the stage now where they can have a couple of an off night and win. And I thought Friday, you've got one or two players that just went through periods where you're thinking not that effective, but the other ones around them could cover it off. And I think that's essential because you're not always going to get all 11 playing to get your results. I think you've got to be able to carry two or three on occasions and be able to work it out. And I thought Friday was a prime example of that. Players that we might have expected a little bit more from. 
who didn't quite get there. I thought Morgan struggled, particularly second half. I thought Danilo struggled pretty much all the way through the game. But last year, that on occasions, that would have been too much for them. And that would have been a weakness in the team that they couldn't cover. But now they're able to get through that and come out the other side. And what I would say is, because we get asked about him every time we do anything about Ryan Yates, I thought his introduction on Friday changed the way the game was played. I was really surprised he didn't start, because if ever you're going to start Ryan Yates, is against Sheffield United. But I thought when he came on, that was the click of the gear again from us being under pressure and looking like we were going to concede the goal to lose to then getting that belief back in the middle of the pitch that we'd go on and win the match. And I thought he was essential to Forrest finishing the game strongly and getting the win. And also, don't you think that this year as well, for the first time this year, we've got subs that improve our eleven. So when Alang Yatesy came on, Sheffield United couldn't compete with that. And that was almost for me like, that is your welcome to the Premier League. We've had that year of struggling and not having our you know, not having the subs we'd necessarily want on the bench, but to have the likes of Alanga on the bench and come on with that pace and Yates, as you mentioned, who I was surprised didn't start. I think that's what sets us apart on Friday because as the Sheffield United defenders were tiring, um, we could bring on the likes of Anthony Alanga, who's just full of full of pace. So I think that's where we've improved as well, is having those subs that can really make a difference. I don't think we necessarily had that last year. Mm. And they were bringing on kids, though. No offence to them. I've never heard of a few that they were bringing on. I think that was a big difference. Um, 500 people watching, give us a like and a subscribe. We very much appreciated. And we'll come on to Yates and a few other players, let's uh, mention there, who I don't think were quite at it, and the, but the subs made a huge difference. I just want to talk about Serge Aurier, Temps, two assists, two lovely crosses. But I've put in my notes here, was he that good defensively? It was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance, I thought. Fletch, I can see, is twitching already. What, what did you make of him, Temps? Well, he's assisted two goals with really good crosses. I was pretty pinpoint for the first one. Between two centre-halves, um, Tywo bullied his man. Great finish. The second cross, to Fletcher's point, was actually a bit behind Chris Wood. He had to adjust and do a lot of work with the one-touch finish there to, to find that corner. So... Um, yeah, the first cross was the one for me that was a touch of class, uh, probably a little bit misguided with the second one. The profile of the lad we're going to come on to talk about from Argentina, from the clips I'm seeing, looks very progressive, looks like he can um, get up and down. I know he's, he spent a lot of time at right back at Sevilla, um, but it appears that he's coming to put pressure on Serge Aurier. Will he, won't he go to Saudi? Uh, money talks, and he's at the stage of his career where it's, it's, it's now or never for that type of of move. He did okay for me, Serge, and I'm really, really comfortable with him being first picked down the right-hand side in a four or a five. He's clearly better off in a back four. Um, and the challenge with the team selection now is the tip of the arrow is pretty much sorted if everyone's fit and available. Morgan Gibbs-White, Tyro Wanji, Brennan Johnson, triple threat, very, very different players, but have started to complement each other well and understand the run. So if you play a back five, it has to be three into two in centre mid. And yet he was very, very unlucky to miss out. That was a kind of performance which gets him back in the side uh, against Man U for me. I thought he was, he was truly excellent. Um, mixed reviews on Serge. I know he's been bagged a little bit, but he had two key moments in the game. He assisted both goals. He is a willing runner. Yes, he, he goes running from his post every now and again. But in that system, to create an overload against a weaker team with a back five, you have to be prepared to take managed risk. And I thought he did that pretty effectively. So... I'm probably a bit more positive about Serge's performance than certain others. Yeah, I wasn't down on it. I just, there was that spell, and Fletch, you can come in on this because you don't probably don't agree with me. There was that spell at the start of the second half where the lad down the left for Sheffield United 
was caught the ex Liverpool player, forgive me, I forgot his name, was causing us a lot of problems. And I was questioning whether Serge can play as a wing back as effectively as a right back. Is that symptomatic of the team struggling then, you think? And it wasn't as much Serge struggling for that 15 minutes. It was more of a collective failings, Fletch. I think you've got to think about the Serge Aurier profile or Serge Beckham, as we should have called him after Friday, because it sense talks about the two crosses that led to goals. There were other fantastic balls in that didn't lead to goals. His yeah. crossing on Friday was of a very high standard. I, I watched him a lot when he was at Paris Saint-Germain. And his forte was sticking the ball onto Edinson Cavani's head and they would score. Now, when he was at Paris Saint-Germain, the Achilles heel of Serge Aurier was as a defender. When he was at Tottenham, the Achilles heel of Serge Aurier was as a defender. And he was also a player that made mistakes. Serge Aurier last season had a very un-Serge Aurier season. That he didn't make mistakes. Very disciplined, excellent defensively. But that's not been the career profile. You're going to get good delivery from Serge Aurier. You're going to get the odd mistake from Serge Aurier. And you're going to get the odd moment where you think defensively he's been liable for, for, for whatever situations occurred. But that is just the profile of the player. I agree with you. I think there'll be a tendency this year that they might want to try and find a way to play him as a right-sided centre-half on occasions because I don't think that they see him at the stage of the career that he's at of being that up-and-down, constant wing-back threat down the right. <clears throat> I think it's one to trying to strengthen the positions in, in the manner that they are. So I agree with that. But I think what we've got to think about is that Serge had a, a near-perfect season defensively last year in terms of not making mistakes. But the career profile would tell you that, that this is who he is and this is what he does. And he's the kind of player where you have to take the rough with the smooth sometimes. But when you get the end product that you had on Friday and he generates two goals and might have generated more... You can accept that as a team. So this is the balance. And by the way, what I'd say too, if you look around the Premier League, the wing-backs that don't have frailty are the ones that are regarded as the elite in the division. But there are lots of players that play that position that defensively on occasions will be caught out just, just based on the nature of it. So I don't think he's on his own. Yeah, that's inherent risk, isn't it, Fletch? That's the it point. Wing-back has to abandon his post to be effective in, in an offensive manner. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. True. Um, Emily, what do you make of Montiel incoming? I mean, incoming. He's obviously best known for that penalty in the World Cup final, and he's scored a winning penalty in a Europa League final as well. Obviously, got a very strong mentality as a player by the sound of it. What do you make of it if he does sign? Um, well, I guess does that mean that Serge is possibly going if we sign him because he'll come in as a right back? Is he? Um, or, he could, or as Fletch says, he could Serge could play right centre back, but yeah, he, no, yeah, yeah. there's the um, interest certainly. I don't know enough about him to have um, huge opinions, but I guess on paper he looks great. If he scored the winning penalty for Argentina and for Sevilla in the um, Europa League final, um, I mean, I'm I'm one of these people. I trust the process, so um, it sounds like a cliche, but if Steve Cooper's happy with him and wants to sign him, they must see something in him. Is it 10 million we're looking out for him? Or is it a loan move with an um, obligation to buy, I think? That's both been reported, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, any 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 strength and depth we can get, I'm I'm here for it. But um, I, I would rather stick with Serge. A bit like Fletch, I'm a big Serge fan. And I think for all his faults, his his positives outweigh that. And I'm, I feel really comfortable when I see his name on the team sheet. Just for his mm -hmm. experience and... Yeah, he makes the odd mistake, but you, I don't know. I just think you always get a great, great service from him. So 
I'm not overly excited by by this new signing, but I guess I've got to trust the process. Fletch, you probably know more than me with your European well, expertise. Yeah, I, saw, I actually watched him on Wednesday night because he came on in the in the Super Cup against Manchester City yeah. and surprised scored his penalty in the shootout, which he seems pretty good at. So um, I look. I mean, he played five games at the World Cup. It wasn't as if he he just came on and, and scored the winning pen. He was he was a part of that group. Um, the problem he has in Seville is that he plays behind Jesus Navas, who played his 655th match for the club the other night. And even though he's 37, I think if they remove Navas from the squad, the stadium falls down. Is that much part of what they do? So I think Montiel is a victim of, of who he's behind. Must be like backing up Stuart Pearce back in the day. You were never going to get past Stuart until Stuart said, it's your turn. But I, I think he played five games. He never really lets... Severe down. He's a World Cup winner, so the pedigree is there. I think we can we, we we can dissect stuff like this until we're blue in the face. But if you're a team that's in the second year in the Premier League and looking to try and get towards mid-table, and you're signing a, a fellow that played five games in the World Cup and came on for the whole of extra time, by the way, in the final, came on at the end of ninety minutes and played the half an hour, and he's won a World Cup. He has to be of a certain standard, so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about him. My concern would be, how's he going to get on with the Brazilian boys? Argentina and Brazil. We've got Argentina and Brazil. Did somebody say like yesterday that he's going to be the first Argentine that Forrest have had? We had... Um, Gino Padula. Yeah, and um, Claudio Jacob as well. So he'd be the wow, third. So the first good Argentine. Slightly better CVs. Yeah. And is he, is he, I don't know this. Is he, would he be the first World Cup winner? Oh, good question. question. I know Claudio Jakob didn't win that. <laughs> I'd imagine so. That's a good question. Yeah. Look, it's a, it's a buzz, isn't it? All of a sudden, our club that was signing some bloody awful footballers for about two decades and now signing the fellow that's won the World Cup and scored the winning pen and we're saying, is he any good? Just won the World Cup. Let's enjoy it. Get him in. Let's make him look great in the away kit. That'll be great for him as well. We've got the old wobbly Argentina stripes. Everybody can get behind him. And I tell you what, I think the fan base really enjoy our South American players. I think he's brilliant. I, mean, I think he's, he comes with a pedigree. He's won a World Cup. He's at Seville. By the way, if you're signed by Monchi at Seville as well, who's gone to Aston Villa, he's probably the best evaluator of talent in the whole of European football and has been for an extended period. So if he's going into the market in Argentina and bringing him over, that is often a, a really good indicator of, of how good he, he is. And also, I think you're going to see the other one at Aston Villa. Acuna from the other side is going to go to Villa, the left back. Another one of Monchi's players, Monchi now at Villa. So that's Seville team starting to break up. Bono, the goalkeeper, played in the Super Cup and then went to Saudi Arabia the following day. I think the REA thing's interesting. I think if players want to go to Saudi Arabia, it's really difficult for the clubs to stop them because of the opportunities that are over there. So I just don't think there's a great deal that clubs can do at the minute when that transfer opportunity comes about. So if it is an opportunity for him, and I don't know that it is, but if it is, I'd be really surprised if he didn't go. That would probably shock me that the stage surges at in his career. True. And I've said it on here repeatedly it's a real bugbear of mine that the Saudi window closes on September the 20th because that is going to cause yeah. havoc for a few clubs and that should did you just see by the way the breaking news Ben Foster's retired from professional football that's what four in the first half against Swindon <laughs> <doesn't> <laughs> <everybody>. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, I did not I, see that. They're going in hand over fist. He's jacked it in. So there'll be no more body cam in League Two. There you go. Breaking news. We'll break some news for you on the on the Gareth Poppy Red podcast. <laughs> um, two other players who haven't won the World Cup that I want to talk about, Temps, and McKenna and Worrell. So much chat online about them being lumped in together on Friday as a lot of people saying they were both rubbish. I didn't see it that way, personally. I thought McKenna didn't have a good game. I thought his passing was off. His decision-making was off. He gave a chance away almost in successive minutes in the first half. And it was actually Warrell who bailed him out once. To me, Joe's been tagged with this having a poor game because there was that terrible error where they ran into each other and they'll probably blame each other for it. Uh, what did you make of the pair? Do you do you think that they were both bad or was one better than the other? Well, McKenna's not supposed to be playing, is he? He's the understudy and you've got Felipe and Neocarte to, to come back in. And if they were fit, McKenna would be nowhere near that starting eleven. I, I did think they would plump for a back four and McKenna would be the one that came out to allow, in this instance, Yatesy to play and just have a bit more of an attacking um, look from the off. So, no, McKenna doesn't get anywhere near um, my best Forest team anymore. To Fletcher's point, we signed him at a point when he was the best available player. He wins his headers and tackles in the Championship and he, he, rarely, he rarely lets you down at that level. I think he lacks the pace. We've seen several instances where he struggled with the ball in behind, which isn't Willie Bolly's strength either. Willie Bolly is, is not particularly good when the, the ball's played down the channel or, or over him making his recovery run. So Joe Worrell ends up having to be the, the, the legs in that particular three. Um, but no, I, I think uh, McKenna will be eased out when those two boys get back to fitness. Nia Carte's clearly there or thereabouts, ready to start against Man United. Um, so yeah, I'd separate the two. I think Joe was covering some deficiencies in, in the two guys that he found himself with in the three. McKenna is, is not a Premier League starter, um, but he's he's decent backup when you've got injuries to Felipe and Neocarte. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Joe to death, Fletch. Oh, um, it, it just makes an error again that the plans seem to latch onto. I think he's a I think he's a good defender, and he seems to have developed this tag to me that's a little yeah. bit unfair. I'm not necessarily going to speak about the, the, the two individuals because they walked off in a winning team, conceded one goal in the Premier League. So I don't. If they'd have walked off and they'd lost four-one, and the, the centre backs had had a stinker, I, I get the conversation. There are many, many teams in the Premier League where you would look at areas of the team and say it could be stronger. And the, the centre backs for Forest right now could be stronger simply because two of the players that would start aren't available or the manager doesn't deem Niakate fit enough at the moment to start matching. Felipe's not been on the grass yet with his knee, and we don't know what the season's going to look like for him at the age he's at. Whether he's going to come back and be serviceable, we don't know. I think that's why they're in the transfer market at the moment, trying to buy a centre-back of, of, of some repute. So I think you're always going to drill down on individuals. There are easy targets within a team. We know who the easy targets are within the Forest team. I thought there were weaker players on the pitch on Friday than what we've just talked about. People may disagree with that, but I think players, if they are ultra consistent over 38 league matches, are probably international footballers. And the reason why they're not is because there are frailties to the games that they've got to deal with on occasions. And there are lots of players within this Forest team that would fit that bill. Hence why they're playing at our club and not playing at Manchester City and others. So I think we can talk about individuals 
who get targeted until we're blue in the face. The facts of the matter are the club is in the Premier League for the second season. The transfer window isn't closed. And this is a process over the coming transfer windows to make the team gradually better, to eliminate the inconsistencies, to get stronger in every area. And as you do that, you climb the league and you eventually potentially become a European team. This is very early in the piece. Lots of players have got holes in what they do. And you could find something wrong with pretty much everybody in the team if that's what you wanted to do. And we're not the only club within the division that you would do that. So I think to keep to keep digging individuals out, I, I just think it's a bit of a selfless argument because, of course, that's the case. Of course, they've gone from the Championship to the Premier League and had two and a half transfer windows and they've been out the top division for, for decades. So it takes time before... You look at it. I remember a time when Man City was signing players, signed a centre-back called Mangala for about 42 million quid. He had shocker after shocker after shocker after shocker. And eventually they went and signed other centre-backs. Look at them now. Teams progress. But this is not a fact that these players are, or whatever, they're who they are. I just, I just if we're going to finish in the bottom seven or the bottom eight, you're going to have areas of your team that you could get stronger. And I just think it's a process that has to happen now over the fullness of time. And the players will gradually get better over the course. But I think they picked Joe out. I mean, I, I just don't really get that. I don't, I don't get that. I don't get that. The other player who was picked out, I'm going to jump ahead and what I wanted to about. It's this weird notion online that Brennan isn't asked because Chelsea are in for him or um, Spurs are in for him. I mean, at, at Emily, I would... I watched the game. I didn't see that at all. I thought it was a very typical Brennan performance. Some stuff came off, some stuff didn't. But I thought the commitment was certainly there. He doesn't look like his head's been turned at all, does it? No, and I think, you know, number one, he's a professional footballer and we can see he's a professional and he he takes his role at Forest really seriously. And actually, he helped set up the first goal, didn't he? He had to run across the pitch to parry it back to Aurier. And from what I could see, he worked just as hard as he ever does. And, you know... We know he's a consummate professional. Why on earth would he, you know, would he change how he plays because he may or may not be going to another bigger club? And, you know, as we know with a lot of these players, he's currently our star boy and the agents are working working um, their magic to, to, you know, make him a high-profile player that, that wants to go elsewhere. But at the moment, he's still a Forest player and he knows that as well. And you could see that in him as he played on Friday. And I think like the likes of Joe Worrell as well. I think sometimes we can we have easy scapegoats. And at the moment, it seems to be Brennan and, and Joe. And I don't think it's fair, really. But for me, he was, he was yes, he didn't score. And, you know, he wasn't firing on all cylinders. But it wasn't for want of trying. I think the, the effort was there. Mm. It was a similar sort of thing for me, Temps, with Gibbs White statistically he had a really good game in terms of chance creation and passes into the box but a lot of stuff didn't come off for him as well it's to me it's like a young player slightly inconsistent he wants to do it all and maybe there's some lessons to learn for him in terms of keeping it simple sometimes but young players are going to have games like this aren't they where it just doesn't come off we're building a side around Morgan Gibbs White and there were moments that he had in the first half that had the whole ground marvelling um, nice to be hated, isn't it? Chef United fans giving him stick as well. Um, but he, he he did his job for them and they've they've obviously got pretty pretty short memories there. Uh, but he faded and luxury players will because they're the ones that have to try things and take risks. 
So it's like the inverse of the discussion that we've just had there. We want unspectacular performances from centre-halves that we're not talking about afterwards because we want them to win their headers, win their tackles and find someone that can play. Morgan Gibbs-White's a different animal. He's trying to unlock defences. For the first time in a long time, we had a team that were um, camping in a little bit, um, trying to make it make themselves tough to, tough to break down. And he's the key to unlock that door by taking risks, trying to pop up between the lines, um, trying to make defence splitting passes, trying to dribble. So there's, there's more opportunity for him to make mistakes. I thought he found space really effectively. If you look at them trying to mark him, he was very, very clever and wandering around and popping up in all, all kinds of alleyways, some, some good touches on the turns. He's great in transition. I think him and Danilo are the keys when this game plan of um, counter-attacking fires in turning defence into attack quickly through carrying the ball and through progressive passes. So, yeah, M- Morgan Gibbs, well, I didn't quite get the hammer there either. He, he had a good first half. He tried things that didn't come off in the second half. He's inked in to start every game that he's available for and will continue to build a team around him. Brennan, slightly different. He's not going to be in the game seven, eight, nine, ten times in a, in a forest shirt because of the way that we, that we play. So he's there because his pace is an absolute weapon to, to get at fullbacks, to, to draw defenders when we break. And that's why teams are looking at him. There's this stat, isn't there, about him having the most metres per carry on average. So Brennan Johnson in the Premier League last year, I think it was 23 metres per carry uh, on, on average, the most progressive dribbler in the Premier League in a team that was struggling in an attack that didn't score too many goals. So the reason that the top six scouts are sniffing in and around Brennan Johnson is they think pairing him with better players, more experienced players, international players would make his game more effective. So we're, we're blessed to have both of these players. My personal view is that Brennan probably will move on in this transfer window. But Morgan Gibbs-White's here to stay. We need to back him, get the best out of him and build a team around him. Mm. Um, does Danilo fit in the same sort of bracket, Fletch? Well, uh, he passed backwards a lot uh, and on, on Friday. Is It's just the thing, you know, young player, a couple of his mates aren't in the team anymore, lacking a little bit of form very early in the season. Again, just something, it's going to happen, isn't it? Look, how old is he? How many games has he played? He's, he's exactly. learning his trade. He's learning the Premier League. He's come from Brazil. He's learning a new way of life. He's living in a new city. I think what we got out of him at the back end of last season, how good he was, was was surprising because I thought it'd take him longer to settle. I know there are South Americans in the dressing room, but he's, has a, he's had a complete life change. And can you imagine how difficult it is to play in the Premier League? compared to playing in the top division in Brazil. I would think the only comparable things are the pitch, the goals and the ball. I would think everybody else, everything else is pretty different. And he's come and slotted in. And this is going to be a process. He's got to learn how he translates his game from Brazil to the Premier League on a consistent basis as a young, inexperienced player. And he's dealing with life issues. He's dealing with a change of culture. He's dealing with a change of game. Everything's changed for that young man. And the fact he did so well at the back end of last season is a testament to him that he was able to do that. And I think we all just presume, and we've all been guilty of it, that you can pick a footballer up from one country and drop them in another and the footballer's the same. And it doesn't work that way. And if we changed jobs and went to live in a different country without our families, we would have a period where it probably take us a year before we settle into any kind of rhythm. But footballers are just expected to do it 
tomorrow. And if they don't, they're no good. And it doesn't work that way. He's a young man in a different world, playing a different brand of football in a different team with a different life. And we've just got to give him time to do it. And if we do, we're patient. We've got a really good player. If people start to criticise him at this point, it'll ruin him. And I just think it's it's so short-sighted to think that he's going to come in and look like the finished article at this stage. I'd just like to say something about Brennan as well, because it's starting to wind me up a lot. Because Brennan Johnson hasn't asked to leave Nottingham Forest. Brennan Johnson, when he came back for pre-season, was fully expecting to be a Forest player. He's not trying to get to Chelsea or trying to get to Tottenham or trying to get away because he's had his head turned. He hasn't. He's a young player at the moment, not knowing where he's going to be living, where he's going to be playing, what he's going to be doing. Now, that has to have an unsettling effect on anyone. That's not because he's down tools at Nottingham Forest because he wants to go to Chelsea. He's not decided this course of action. My understanding is that they've got to get inside financial fair play. So this is going to be a, the future of the club, the way it is, that they're going to have to wheel and deal, players are going to have to be sold, money's going to have to be generated so that they can make the club better. And Brennan Johnson has been identified as that player. Now, it's not his fault then that clubs like Chelsea are being linked with him. What he's trying to do while he's still here is give his best for the club. Because if somebody says to Brennan Johnson today, you can stay, I think he'd be quite happy to do that. Because this is not on him. So I think we've got to get the perspective of what this move is. This is a necessity, I think. And he's the one that's been told it's going to be you. So he's now waiting like everybody else, not knowing when he's going to go and where he's going to go. And he's, what, 21, 22? Just bought a new house in Nottingham that he's planning on moving into and he's probably not going to now. Going to move away from his family, very close to them. There's a lot in that young man's mind at the moment. And people are saying he's down in tools because his head's been turned by Chelsea. Absolute nonsense. They are people that don't know him, have never spoken to him, have never been in his company and don't know his makeup as a young man. And it's absolutely disgraceful if that's what people are saying about him at the moment. This is something that's beyond his control. And at the moment, he knows as much as this as we do. And at some stage, the decision will be taken... And if Chelsea want him, he'll go to Chelsea. Because everybody goes to Chelsea when Chelsea want you. But that's not on him. He's not gone into Steve Cooper's office and said, I want to leave Nottingham Forest. This has gone from the other side. And he is, he is now part of the process that he didn't start. And people have to remember that and be fair to him. Because this is not his doing. This is not a Stan Collymore way back when I'm off because I'm better than this. That's not him. He'd stay here quite happily play for this team this season and give his lot. But that's beyond his control. I think people need to think about that and respect it. That's the podcast trailer sorted, Davis. <laughs> Someone says, I've never seen Fletch so wind up. You need to yeah, but, you know, do, you know, do you know what? Do you know, do you know what? These are people, though. These are people. People. We're talking about a 21-year-old Brazilian lad and we're talking about a young fellow that's come through our academy, both in situations that are completely alien to them. And criticism is coming their way because of it from people who don't know them and don't speak to them and aren't around them. It's just unfair. And people need to be more sensible than that. Um, 
Temps, you've got a couple of minutes left, I think, before you have to abandon us. Just give us your take. Is Chelsea, from a footballing point of view, a good move for Brennan? Massive club, wouldn't begrudge him the move at all. He's going to get a pay rise. But I saw Sterling was great yesterday. They've got Madaweki. They're going to have to play some experienced players in that team because they can't, you know, they're going to have to play Sterling basically because they can't just have Silver. So is it an, a good move for Brennan at the right time, football wise? Uh, yeah, I mean, massive period of transition at Chelsea, and people say if he went there, he'd won the bench. I'm not necessarily sure that's the, that's the case because they're, in a sense, where we were 12 months ago, shuffling the deck and trying to find combinations that work because they, they haven't found it yet, looking at the manner in which they're, they've been setting up for, for games. It's market forces, isn't it? There's, the market is telling us that what Brennan's got is a rare commodity and big clubs will, will pay good money for it. So of all the clubs that can afford the finance to... Um, get Brennan Johnson out of Forest. Chelsea is probably the most viable um, for him because it's not a settled side. There's a, a new way of thinking down there. And he has that, that rare commodity of pace and poise. You could pull two highlight reels up for Brennan, depending on the type of player you're scouting. An out-and-out winger terrorising fullbacks or someone making death, two-touch, one-touch finishes inside the box with more ball, with a front-footed side, he would look very, very good beyond the levels we're seeing him when he's playing for Wales or when he's playing for, for Forest. Like Fletch, I like the fact that we've got a, a backbone to this side that is uh, born and bred in our academy. He's a big part of that. I'm not surprised other teams are looking at him. Um, and yeah, he will take no action until such time as Forest accepts a bid. Mm, mm, true. Right, the clock is ticking, and I just want to spend the last 10 minutes talking about Man United on Monday. Um, actually, Temps, before you go, I'll ask you this one, then I'll throw it to Emily. Um, I feel like Forrest have got a decent chance of getting something. I think, But to me, it's more prohibitive on what Man United do. I think we know what Forrest will do. If United stick with this team and formation that they played the first two games, I feel like Forrest have got a pretty solid chance of getting you know something there a point would be great to me how are you feeling about the game we're playing them at a good time while they haven't got a focal point at, at number nine for me there's a lot of pressure going to be put on Hovland when he's, he's fit and ready to go but they they seem like a team that's waiting for that um center forward to to drop um to to to, to bring the best out of all the attacking midfielders that they've got to bring the best out of Bruno Fernandez Rashford um running in and around that number nine but they haven't got it yet so you're seeing a Man United team that could do with another three weeks of pre-season for me. So yes, decent time to play them. I think a point would be an excellent result. I said before, one job in August beat Sheffield United, one job in September beat Burnley. Point would be a bonus and you're going to see a very similar setup to Arsenal and hopefully us being slightly more effective, able to, to manage a, a shutout. Um, yeah, decent time to play them. They're, they're not quite the force I thought they were going to be on the evidence of the, the Spurs game and the, and the Wolves game. And we, we could provide a, a bit of an obstacle for them, I'm sure. Uh, we shall let you go. Swing some golf clubs. Have a, have a good round. Are you good at golf? Are you a modest no, man? Not as good as I should be. We played pairs yesterday. So you, you can have a bad hole, can't you, and be forgiven. It's singles today. So we're having our little Ryder Cup session up here at Carden Park. So, yeah, I better get on the, get on the range and get tuned in because I'm not good enough not to. Right. We'll let you go. Uh, thanks for joining us. Maybe see you on Thursday for the preview. Uh, right. Temps leaving us. Emily, how are you feeling about it? And are you making any changes to the team? I guess I'm thinking of Ryan Yates coming back in there. 
Ryan Yates is always first on the team sheet for me, and I was um, really disappointed that he didn't feature in the, in the starting lineup against Sheffield United. So definitely bring him in. Um, I a bit like Temps. I feel quite confident about Man United. I know last season we didn't do very well. Apologies, by the way, if you can hear banging in the background, the pool table in this pub I'm in is being fixed. So I've picked the perfect <laughs> place to sit, haven't I? So I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah, I've, I've watched both the Man United games so far. The Wolves game, you know, they, they provided nothing and were very, very lucky to come out with a win. Um, and equally, um, the Tottenham game as well. And looking at them, you know, realistically, if we can get a point at Old Trafford, I will I will clearly take that. And they seem, unlike a lot of the teams so far this season, they're just not settling into their flow. But I guess that's the case early on, mm. isn't it? Um, and I feel... I feel like we don't go into that game scared. We set up probably the same way we did against Arsenal, sit in, see if we can take them on the break and maybe nick something. But what we can't do, which we did early last season, is go gung-ho, be open and expansive and expect to get anything else of it. And Langer might be a good person, possibly, to be a focal point for that game, which is obviously his um, his links with Man United and also the way the way he's sort of um, flourished as he's come on as sub in both games. Um, my ideally would like to see Nia Carter probably back to replace McKenna. Um, I know Felipe has actually said this morning he's even closer to fitness, obviously probably not for this weekend, but I think he's the suggestion that he, he should be back fit soon. But yeah, I mean, if we can get a point out of them, it's a bonus because for me, in my little notes of where we would be, this would be a definite loss. But looking at Man United in the first few games, they're certainly not firing on all cylinders yet and Rashford's struggling to find form isn't he so I'm not as scared as I would have been maybe pre-season I thought Fletch like Wolves prospered through aggressive runners through the middle in that game Cunha and Nunes Forrest have got Ilanga and Gibbs White and Johnson who sort of bit that mould like Emily said Rashford to me is much better out wide than through the middle obviously a world-class player though and we're getting a bit carried away thinking Forrest can go there and get a point or not I think if they play like they played against Wolves, then Forrest can. I mean, they had opportunities at Tottenham, made some mistakes. I think Roy Keane went off the deep end a little bit. I thought they had opportunities in the match. I think as well, what would surprise me is if Eric Ten Hag picks the same team for a third match in a row, having played mm. like that against Wolves and Tottenham, and he doesn't win, people will start to question him and his judgment. So I'd be very surprised if they don't make changes to the team for this weekend. And then it's difficult to assess what you're going to get. One thing that really impressed me at Arsenal was was the organisation and how they went about it. And the game plan was there that they were going to try and stick in the game until the last 10 minutes and then they put players on that could try and change it. I don't think they're going to do anything different to that. I think when we think back to last season, that's Old Trafford. Um, one or two individual errors cost them. They were defending okay. I think the, the beauty about Man United is when you play against Manchester City or Arsenal and they're on a going game, it can absolutely take you to the cleaners. Liverpool too, once they get on that roll, they're insatiable, aren't they? You can't stop it. I don't necessarily get the impression that Manchester United are quite that, so I think you can contain them a little bit better. But let's not forget, they've got world-class players through the team and, and if Forest do get something, it would be one of the best results of the season, even when you look back over 38 games, I think. It'd be a great... A great thing to do. I, I, I just, I just think we've got to temper enthusiasm because they will click at some stage. United, 
they're still contenders for the top four. They've got really, really good players. But yeah, if they're on a if they're on a slightly less than going day and Forest can be disciplined and organised as they were at Arsenal, then why not? Yeah, I think if United revert to Ericsson in midfield, Martial plays through the middle, Russia plays out wide, I think we've got a long day. If they play the same team like Fletch says, I think it's foolish, but would give us a shot. Um, last topic I wanted to touch on, just the, quickly on the style of play, the debate around the way we're going about games, people questioning Cooper's tactics. I don't want to spend too long on it because I think it's a bit mental, but it's, there's, a, there's quite a few fans who are seeming to think we should be playing a lot better football than we are. We've played two games. We've given Arsenal a good run. And we've beaten a dogged Sheffield United team. I'm not seeing where this criticism is coming from, Emily, but we are, it's interesting to, to, to address it. What do you think about it? I think it's ridiculous. If you look at our pre-season, we were all really worried, weren't we? Where are the goals coming from? And um, we've got no cohesion. And then we, we narrowly miss out on a point at Arsenal and we beat Sheffield United. Yes, it wasn't pretty, but we got those three points. Um, I'm not sure what people are expecting two games into the Premier League. Mm. we're kind of doing everything that was expected of us. Um, I remember you said before the Arsenal game, if we lose 3-0, that's a decent result. Mm. And, you know, we, we narrowly we narrowly miss out um, at the Emirates. Um, I think that we're learning from last season. We're not going out gung-ho, fully expansive, expecting to win games and then getting hammered 4 or 5-0. We're organised. We know where our strengths are. And at the moment, we've still got those injuries. We haven't got our best centre-backs at the moment, have we? And we're still trying to fit in those midfielders. Um, Yates, you have to miss out the other night. So, I, I personally, I think Cooper's getting it spot on with, with, with defensive and counter-attacking in the first half. And then depending where we're at, at half-time, we, we go for it like we did in, against Arsenal in the second half. So I'm not sure what people are expecting Cooper and the team to do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Brighton is a shiny object, Fletch. We can't all be Brighton. Yeah, but have... They've got so many years on us in the Premier League, exactly. haven't they? They're a, it's a completely different... It's a completely different argument. We are not Brighton at the moment and yeah. we're nowhere near being Brighton and it's ridiculous to think that we would be. It's our second year back in the Premier League and we're and currently sitting... We, you know, we've got our first win after the second game at home. Yeah. And we Calm spent last, down, people. We, last summer, we, we built a squad in five minutes with some yeah. hectic signing. We had a terrible injury record. I just don't want fans to... Exp- I don't know, you shouldn't try and lower expectations of fans, should you? I don't know on a word. No, no, I'm not saying level expectations. I don't know what you're trying to say. It's But we've got to be realistic. We're not going yeah, from just... being promoted through the playoffs to surviving our first year in the Premier League to, oh, we need to go for top 10. We're yeah. still building. And every, even if we just improve by a place this year, that's building. Um, I, I'm not sure what people expect us to be, but we are still the same team we were at the end of last season with a couple of additions. And we've got some injuries as well. So we're actually not far better off in terms of players we've got because of the, the players that are out injured. So our only real, I guess, addition is a langer at the moment, isn't it? Because we lost Henderson and we've got Turner in. Um, Ina's injured. Ina's injured and he came in for Lodi. So actually a langer is our only addition at the moment. We're on the brink of losing Brennan. So actually I think we're doing all right. Yeah. Uh, any final words or anything to add on that, Fletch, before we depart? I don't know why everybody's moaning. Like, I, can't, no. I can't work it out. Why, why, why are we suddenly a disgruntled fan base? We think three or four of the players are no good. We think one fella's down tools. We think the style of play's no good. Played two matches and got three points. 
stayed up last year. I, transfer windows open. I don't know why all of a sudden there's so much disgruntlement. What, so what, what do people want to do then? Sack Steve Cooper to bring a manager in that plays a different way? Because this is the way that Steve's decided to play. What do you then say to, to players who, who are happy in a certain style? Well, you've now got to play a different way because people don't like it. So we might let five in a week because we're going to play too open because we want to be more entertaining. Tried that last year, by the way. 15 shots a game were raining in until people changed it. And there were certain people last season saying, well, that, that's we, we've got to be more defensive than this. Well, all right, now we've got to be more expansive than that. Well, we tried that. didn't work. I just don't know why all of a sudden there is so much disgruntlement over individual players and the style of play. I don't know what people want or expect at this stage. I, I just don't understand it. I, I didn't know that. You surprised me today to tell me that this is that this is now what seems to be a relatively unhappy fan base. I don't. Yeah, I don't, I, mean, I don't want to give too much. I don't know what percentage of it is. I don't want to give too much credence to it in case it's a really well, small percentage. If it's a really small percentage, why are we even bothered talking about it? If, well, exactly. It, but as a, well, there it, is. I see it more it in the, the comments on this podcast. I think the reason why is I see it more in the pod, comments on this podcast than at any point that we've done it since the Premier League. And I saw it more on Twitter. And I don't want to give too much credence to Twitter because there's so few people on Twitter. But it's more that it's in the comments on this podcast today, and especially last week. I think it's weird. Uh, Pat says, I think it's the low block. I mean, I hate the term low block. You can win any game playing any way. And I think Forrest would have won that game more comfortably if players have played to their potential more than the tactics on Friday. I just, we carried, like Fletch said, we carried a couple of players and we won. I don't think it was down to tactics. So I don't want to, yeah, I think I don't want to go overboard on it. I just thought it was something to, Discuss very briefly for the last five minutes of the podcast. I feel like we're ending on a low note when we shouldn't be because we've won and we've started the season well. And I'm quite optimistic going into Man U. Right. Anything you want to see, Fletch, in the uh, the final few days of the transfer window in case you're back on? Any desperate needs or wants for this team? No, I, I think they've got everything. I think they've got most things under control. I think they're doing a relatively good job in there. Um, I don't really think they need any advice from me at this stage as to what they should do. I think they've got it all under control. I think if they start taking advice from the likes of me, they could be in a right mess. Just a, a word on, we, we mentioned Gonzalo Montiel. They're being linked with uh, Nicolas Dominguez as well, the Bologna. Yeah. That's yeah. been mentioned this morning. I had a quick conversation with James Horncastle today who knows everything about Italian football. Um, and um, I think Brighton have had a mention, Emily, haven't they, in dispatches about why we're not like them? Well, He's in the last year of his contract at Bologna. And when he was in Argentina, he was a player that Brighton wanted. So the people that like Brighton might be quite happy with that because they quite fancied Nicolas Dominguez. Um, he's feisty, central midfielder, plays well in a 4-2-3-1, will improve the defensive side and give them a bit of meat in the middle of the pitch, which, which is nice. Last year of his contract at Bologna, so there's no reason why it wouldn't get, why it wouldn't get done. Um, so I think people are wondering a little bit about Dominguez, that might just help in terms of a bit of background as to what he's all about and what he might bring. Um, but yeah, that's it. And um, don't raise Brennan Johnson, Matt, in my company again. <laughs> I'll try not to. I'll try not to. Any final words? Any final words before we go, Emily? Um, just want to say commiserations to the women in the World Cup yesterday, England women. I thought they've um, they've done us all proud. And as a woman who loves football and has loved it all my life, and a daughter who plays football, it means so much to me. And I just think 
I just think, you know, we need to keep banging the drum for women's football. Also, big thank you to the Penny Art Arms in Brunkrug. You've let me sit here for the last hour talking and have even bought me a cappuccino. So I'm very happy. Good on them, good on them, and commiserations <laughs> to the women as well. Uh, it wasn't to be in the final, unfortunately. Spain deserved to win, so that's the way it goes. Right, uh, if there's 660 people still watching, give us a like, do subscribe, spread the word, it all helps. Fletch, thank you very much for bailing me out and standing in. It's very much appreciated. Off the, off the bench this morning. He's a Chris Wood appearance. It's, yeah, a squad game. it's a squad game. Yeah, yeah. Squad. No, hey, listen. No guarantees on this podcast. You know. <laughs> Emily, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Very much appreciated. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. Well, I think today's the last day, isn't it? Yeah, go home today. I've left Nick to pack up the tent, so it's been well. Good on him. What a man. What a man. <laughs> right, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for everyone who's watched, joined along. Lots of comments. Very much appreciated. We'll be back on uh, probably Thursday with a preview for the Man United game. A rare Saturday, three o'clock kickoff, I think it is, at Old Trafford. So, uh, yeah, no one's uh, too excited about that game outside Nottingham by the sound of it. But I think we'll do well. So uh, have a good few days and we shall see you soon.